Well, we have been in this series house key for a few weeks here, and I've told you some stories of when I maybe gave the wrong person or trusted the wrong people with some house keys, and I told you a story about when uh, when I asked, when I gave someone a house key and freaked them out that I was worried about dying. Uh, but as we start today, I want to tell you another story because you don't always need a house key. Sometimes you just need to know there's an open door. Um, a few years ago, one of our neighbors who's a part of our church family and connects online, we developed a fun little football rivalry. Um, Justin is a Buccaneers fan and actually was before Tom Brady got there. So he's not a bandwagon jumper. He's a lifer. Right? I mean, if you're, if you're a Buccaneers fan before Tom Brady, you're a lifer. All right. Uh, but when Tom Brady joined the Buccaneers, all of a sudden they actually became pretty good again. And I'm a Packers fan by blood and by where I grew up. And two years ago, the Packers and the Buccaneers were set to play each other in Lambeau Field for the NFC Championship on a crisp July Sunday afternoon. Well, Saturday night, as I was loading up instruments and church equipment into our car, I looked across the street and noticed that someone in Justin's family had left their garage door open, but all of their house lights were off. Now, as a good neighbor, my first instinct was I should call Justin or text Justin and let him know that someone left his garage door open. My second and apparently stronger instinct was to get a whole bunch of Packers memorabilia from my house and take it over and hang it from the ceiling and doorways of Justin's garage, marking it as Packers territory, and then text him to let him know that his garage door was left open. That's what I went with. And before I left, I wrote a note and attached it to an Aaron Rodgers poster. It said, when the Packers win, you have to keep this up for a whole week. Now, so the next day, we get up, we go to church, we had church, we came home ready to watch the game, and sure enough, the outside of our garage door was decked out in Buccaneers gear with the big old pirate flag and the, you know all of that stuff and everything, and a note that told me that if the Buccaneers won, I would keep all of that up for a week. And as you might imagine, as some of you who pay attention to football know, the Buccaneers won. The Buccaneers won in Lambeau Field. And so later that afternoon, Justin and his family, they walked over all of our Packers gear. I was like, I know, I'll keep all this up for a week. It was great. It was terrible. I got too cocky trying to go, go do something on that Saturday night. They won on, sat on Sunday. They won. And so you know, it, was, it, was, it was fantastic. Wonder, wonderful time there. But, so, but here's the thing. The reason I tell you that story is what I, what I said at the beginning. Sometimes you don't need a house key in order to gain access. You just need to know that a door was left open for you. Sometimes you don't need a house key in order to gain access. You just need to know that a door was left open for you. So here's where we've been in this series, House Key. We have said that giving someone a house key is giving someone access to everything that you have. And what's amazing about that is that as Jesus walked the earth, he interacted with people in such a way that everyone that Jesus met was extended a house key. And the house key is simply the invitation that Jesus extended to everyone then and extends to everyone now to follow him, to follow him, not to believe in him, not to obey him, but to follow him. Because he knew if we follow him, we will believe in him. If we follow him, we will obey him. If we follow him, we will grow to love him. But he said to follow him, that following him is more important than anything else. This is the house key. This is the invitation. This is the extension that gains us access to everything that God has for us. And we said that week, everything God has for you and everything God has for me, everything God wants for you and desires for you to live, every bit of purpose that God has for you, it's it's found on the other side of your yes to Jesus's invitation to follow. And last week, we stopped to take a look at just who gets the invitation to follow. And the amazing news we discovered last week is that everyone is invited. Everyone is invited, regardless of past experiences, regardless of current choices, regardless of how much or how little our everyday life looks like Jesus. Jesus extends the invitation to follow to 
everyone. The invitation extended your way. If you're nothing like Jesus, if you've traded who you were created and born to be for something or someone less than God's best for you, if you've traded ultimate purpose for temporary pleasure, you are invited to find and know and follow Jesus. That no matter what sin has broken and made sick, Jesus is the doctor who came to be the remedy for your sickness. He didn't claim to have the remedy or to prescribe the remedy. He himself claimed to be the remedy for our greatest problem, which is the sickness of our sin. Now, Today, as we close out this series, I want to talk specifically to one more group of people. And this one might sound a little bit odd as I start out, but I think at some point or another, on some level or another, or to some degree or another, all of us eventually find ourselves in the group that I want to talk to today. Today, I want to talk to people who accepted the house key, but then lost it at some point along the way. People who accepted the house key, but then dropped it along the way. People who accepted the house key, but then somewhere along the way, the house key got lost or, and, 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 we don't know, and we don't feel like we have the key anymore. People who start, in other, in other words, people who started to follow Jesus, but then stopped following. People who embraced the life of Jesus, but somewhere along the way got distracted by something or someone else and let go of the life of Jesus. People who began to follow Jesus and felt the joy and hope of knowing God through our connection to Jesus, and then life hit and hurt, and that joy and that hope faded and it fell away. See, the, uh, here, here's what the unfortunate truth about this is there are levels and there are layers to this. This is for people who have known Jesus and then feel like at some point along the way, Either I don't know Jesus like I used to, or maybe I feel like I don't follow Jesus at all. There's levers, levels and layers to this. Sometimes it's vibrant faith and then full-on walking away from faith because of a tragic experience in church or with other Christians. Sometimes it's someone who took a first step but then didn't want to take a next step. They say, like, I made some new friends who were Christians and I started to, started to follow Jesus. I kind of like took a first step, but they wanted to take some, some next steps that at the time I wasn't able or willing to take. And so I feel like I already tried, but I kind of failed. Sometimes it's like, well, we believed in a God God, a God that didn't actually exist, the God that wouldn't let anything bad happen to people who trust him. And then, and then the world came crashing down in a phone call. And you thought like, I thought God would never let this happen to me. I thought God would never let anything bad happen to me. And you were unfortunately believing in a God that didn't exist. You were following a God that never claimed to exist. Sometimes it's because of life's hurt or relational difficulties with other believers where you go, I still believe, but I'm not sure I belong anymore. Like I, I, still, I still like Jesus. I still want to believe in Jesus, but I don't know that I belong in a church. I don't know that I belong with other Christians anymore. Or like, I still believe in Jesus, but I don't know that I believe everything that I was taught. Where, where, where the fire that once burned so bright, we feel like it's dimmed because of, we, because of some of the questions and doubts that we now bring to the relationship or to our faith or to our spirituality. And so the question that we would ask, I think that all of us ask when we reach any of these points where, where life hits and hurts dims the flame or where, where questions dim the flame or like, I used to believe everything, but now there's some things that I was taught. I think I got to declutter some of that. Or like, like I, I used to believe, but I'm not sure I belong. Like no matter where you find yourself on that spectrum, no matter what layer speaks to where you are or where you may find yourself someday, the question that we all ask when we reach those points is simply this, is the door still open to me even though I dropped the key? Like I was invited to follow Jesus and I took the key and I accepted the key and I started following, but somewhere along the way, I like I have, I stopped following. Like is the, is the door still open 
for me? Is there a way to come back when you've walked away? Is there a way to return to know and feel the things that you once knew and that you once felt? Is there a way to feel like you belong again when you stopped feeling like you belong? Is there a way to, to know with confidence when, you, when you've been filled with doubt? Is there a way to feel a connection and a closeness like God is with you when you had that moment where life hit and where life hurt and you felt like God had left you on your own? Is there a way to know with confidence what you felt like you knew with confidence once before, but you don't know with confidence anymore. Today, if, if that's you, today, the story that we're going about, about to read together, I think this speaks to that question, to that dynamic, to that emotional place that we often find ourselves in. Is the door still open to me even though I dropped the house key? Today's story focuses on a man named Thomas who was a follower of Jesus and then had a moment and had a season and had a stretch where he had some intense Doubts. We actually, in, in, in Christian circles, we come to call him Doubting Thomas, but we're about to find out that Thomas was much more than Doubting Thomas. Here's what we're told in John chapter 20, verse 24, to set this up just a little bit. This is after the death, after the arrest, after the trial, after the death of Jesus, and after the resurrection of Jesus. This is after disciples have walked into the tomb of Jesus, found that Jesus' body was no more. This is after Mary has Mary Magdalene has spoken with the resurrected Jesus. They've all come back with reports that Jesus is in fact alive. Jesus, in fact, arrived and showed up to his disciples, that they didn't just walk into the room, that they didn't just walk into the tomb and two went back and they told the other, ten, the other 11. This is 10 of them in a room and Jesus walks into the room. While the door is locked, while the windows are shut, Jesus appears in the room, which again, like, you know, one of the amazing things about resurrected Jesus is Jesus, resurrected Jesus gets to walk through walls and walk through doors. What a great superpower. Wouldn't you want to have it? But here's what, here's what we're told, that at the moment that Jesus walked into the room, not all of the disciples were there. Here's what we're told in John chapter 20, verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Now, this, this is important to understand. This is not the insinuation that Thomas just stepped out for a moment and then he came back and Jesus just appeared for a moment and then he was gone by the time that Thomas got back. The insinuation here is that Thomas was intentionally not there. This wasn't an accidental, oops, I stepped out and just happened, to, Jesus just happened to show up in the eight minutes that I was at Circle K grabbing a Dr. Pepper. Thomas apparently not only had lost faith in Jesus, Thomas had given up on this community. He was not with the others when Jesus showed his resurrected self to them. Thomas, who had seen his, savior, his Messiah, his Savior, his Lord, his Rabbi, who had seen him arrested, who had seen him tried, who had seen him die on a cross, when the moment that Jesus died, he was devastated and so was his faith and he lost faith in his Savior, but he also lost faith in this community and he chose to dis connect. He chose to stay away. And this is something that's so, so important for us to talk about. It is easy for faith to drift when fellowship suffers. 
It is easy for faith to drift when fellowship suffers. This is one of the reasons that a regular habit of time with other believers is so important. I mean, as a, as a pastor, I, I think this happens the best through the local church, through, through small groups to, as part of a local church. But to have a regular time with other believers, it's so important because we don't just show up at church because of what we believe. We show up as the church because of what we believe. And as we show up as the church, we spur each other on. We encourage one another in the the faith. We strengthen each other through difficult times. We cheer each other on through the fights and the fires of life. We walk arm in arm facing any challenge that may come. And I'm telling you, when we do that, when we are the church regularly for one another, our faith and our hope in God can withstand anything that life throws at us. But when we don't do that, when we don't have regular time with that community, with the cheerleaders of our faith, with those who strengthen us when we're weak, when we don't do that, it becomes a lot easier for the storms and the circumstances of life to erode our faith, to crash against our faith and to eventually break our faith. This is why time with other believers is so important on a regular habitual basis to gather with the church because when fellowship suffers, Oftentimes, so does our faith. And to be and, and to be fair, to be fair, a tsunami-sized wave had hit Thomas hard. He was there. He was there when his rabbi, his teacher, his Messiah, his Savior was arrested. He was probably in the crowd when Jesus was condemned to die. He was probably watching from a distance when Jesus was put to death on the cross. He had placed his hope in Jesus, and then he saw Jesus die. And when Jesus died, so did his faith, so did his hope, so did his belief, and so did his followership. Uh, to, to say it the, the way that we've been talking throughout this whole series, when Jesus died, Thomas dropped the house key because he thought there was no longer a house to be invited into. When Jesus died on the cross, it devastated Thomas's faith. We forget about this today or overlook this because we know how the story ends. But the emotion of this moment with Jesus's death was devastating to his disciples. Jesus's death was devastating to his disciples, to their faith. They were left with all kinds of questions. We followed him because we were sure he was the one. But the one can't die, right? We were sure we were following him because we were sure that his life would never end, but we saw his life taken from him. No, you actually saw his life give it, he saw him give up his life and lay down his life temporarily. To people who had absolutely hitched their wagon to Jesus, seeing Jesus arrested and given a sham trial and public publicly executed was the absolute worst thing they could possibly imagine. No wonder Thomas's faith was so shaken. But then the dead Jesus was no longer dead. He was alive and he appeared to the 10 disciples who were gathered and eventually they find Thomas because after all, we've got to tell Thomas what has happened because Thomas has been shaken to his core. We got to go tell him that Jesus is no longer dead, but Jesus is alive. We got to go tell Thomas what happened. This is amazing. Thomas is going to find faith all over again. He's going to have his faith renewed and his hope renewed. He's going to find confidence in his heart again to, to find and follow Jesus again. Like, this is going to be amazing. And here's what happened. They told him, we have seen the Lord. In verse 25, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his 
side. Now, this is interesting. This is like 10 friends who Thomas has spent years with day and night tell him, we saw the risen Jesus. And Thomas calls them all liars. He calls them all liars. He refuses to believe their story. I mean, this is insulting. This is why I said, why I said this is more than Thomas being doubting Thomas. Thomas is being a denier. Thomas is the denier, not the doubter. This is denying Thomas. This is insulting. John is like, dude, I, I, I beat Peter in a foot race to the tomb and there's no body. And, and Thomas is like, lies. Peter's like, yeah, I was the first to walk into the tomb and there's no body. He's like, well, you're on crack. That's not even, like, you know, Mary was like, I actually talked to the resurrected Jesus at the empty tomb. He's like, well, you're a woman. Can't believe anything that you say. Matthew steps and he's like, no, bro. Like I, like, like, I, like, I saw him too. And he's like, and, and Tom's like, well, you were a tax collector. You guys have always been thieves and liars. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. He calls all 10 of his friends liars. He is not just doubting Thomas. He is denying Thomas. He's denying that it's possible that what Jesus said would happen, that he would die and that he would raise from the dead. He is denying that it's possible that what Jesus said would happen has actually happened. I mean, this moment, this is the moment, like I dropped the keys. And even if there's a glimmer of hope and you're telling me that maybe just like, I already dropped the keys. I already dropped the, like, I don't know if there's a way back. I, I don't believe there's a way back. I've given up hope that there's a way back to what we were promised and what we believed and what I hoped and the community that we had. I've given up hope. And, he, and if you were to ask Thomas, I think he would say in this moment, and you should too. Verse 26 then would go on to tell us this. Eight days later, I love this. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. This is interesting. Jesus lets Thomas sit in his doubt for eight days. Jesus let Thomas be wrong for eight days. Jesus let Thomas stew in his wrongness, in his doubt, in his denial, in, in his like, guys, I'm telling you, like this, this, like it didn't happen. He sat with that for eight days. He sat in that for eight days and Jesus let him sit in that for eight days. There was no, well, I got to show up right away and let Thomas know, like, no, like this is like, hey, we're going to let him sit with this for a while because if he needs to sit with this for a while, we're going to let him sit with this for a while. Here's what we're told. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, like, so he says, peace to all of you. Peace be with you. Hey, Thomas, we're going to have a conversation. Like, imagine, imagine you doubt and you deny that Jesus has raised from the dead. He shows up. He's like, hey, I want to have a talk with you. You're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. I I mean, just like imagine this moment if you're Thomas, like, oh, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I can't even stand it. Like, I was so wrong. I can't stand. I'm so wrong. I'm going to fall into a little puddle on the ground. Like, I was so wrong wrong. And my savior is standing in front of me, calling out what I said when he, when he wasn't even here, he's calling it out. He's calling me out. And he's telling me, 
Like, I shouldn't be faithless any longer, but I can believe. Don't be faithless any longer. He's calling me to follow him once again, to renew my faith, to renew my belief in him. Like, oh my gosh, he's standing here. The resurrected Jesus is standing here before my very eyes to prove to me what has happened. And in this single statement that Jesus says, Jesus does two incredible unbelievable things. He reminds them that he's present even when Thomas can't see him. And in doing so, he reminds us that he is present with us even when we can't see him. I mean, like in this moment, hey, Thomas, remember that flippant thing you said about putting your hand in my side when I wasn't here? I heard it. I'm aware of it. Like, so you think I wasn't there, but I was here. You couldn't see me, but I was here because I'm with you, even when you don't know that I'm with you. Because even when you can't see me, I'm with you. And even when it doesn't look like any external circumstances have changed, I'm with you. Thomas was like, look, if Jesus was alive, he would have shown himself to me. I would know that he's with me. I would, have, I would know that he's alive. And Jesus says, even when you can't see me, you need to know that I'm alive and that I am with you. For some of us, we need to be reminded that even when the circumstances of life don't look like Jesus is with us, he's still with us. That even when we can't physically see him, he's still with us. That no matter what life circumstances would tell us about God being with us, he is with us. Jesus reminds Thomas and Jesus reminds us, even when you can't see me, even when you don't know that I'm with you, I am with you. And then the second amazing thing that Jesus does, he lets Thomas know and he lets us know the lengths that he would go to win him back. And Jesus lets us know the lengths that he would go to win us back. Jesus, this is when Jesus says, put your finger into my side, place your finger into my nail in the nail holes in my hands. Jesus had already gone to the cross to win Thomas's salvation, to win the forgiveness of sins, to pay the price for Thomas's sins. Jesus had already done that, but Jesus was willing to relive the pain of death to prove his resurrection was real. I mean, again, I don't know how often, how, how many of you have had open gaping wounds ever in your life. To think that like the worst possible thing to happen to an open wound to happen when you've, when you've been wounded is for someone to place their finger, like the most painful thing, like if you had nails driven through your hands, this is not just an, like here's, here's proof, here's my nails. It's put your finger there if you need to feel it. I'll feel it all over again for you to be confident that I have risen from the dead, that it's really me, that I am not some ghost or some figment of your imagination. If you need to put your finger into my hand at the sake of me re having to relive the pain of my death to know that I'm alive, I'll let you do that. Jesus let Thomas know and let us know the lengths that he would go to win us back, that there was no limit to what Jesus do to, would do to win Thomas back, to make sure that Thomas knew that Thomas was still welcome at his side. And the same is true for you and the same is true for me today. Jesus will do anything short of sin to win you back to him. 
Again, the Savior who went to a cross for you, there is nothing that he would not do for you short of sin to win you back, to bring you back, to let you know that you can follow again, that you can take another step, that you can take your first step again. If you need to take your first step all over again, he says, I welcome you to my side. There is nothing I wouldn't do for you, including reliving the pain of my own death to win you back. That's how much your Savior loves you you. That's how much Jesus wants a relationship with you. Put your fingers into my into the nails in my hands. Put your fingers into the into the pierced hole in my side. Whatever it takes for you to know how much I love you and to know that I am for you and that I am with you, that's okay. Jesus is willing to do anything short of sin to win you back to him. And in response, in verse 28, we're told, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. In this whole exchange, in this whole moment, Jesus recalls, Thomas is like, don't be faithless any longer. Believe, believe, believe. You, now you believe, now you believe. You're following me once again. He recalls Thomas. He recalls a man who thought the story was over. Jesus recalled a man who thought he was dead in the grave despite word to the contrary. Jesus recalled a man who chose doubt and denial over faith. Jesus recalled a man who walked away from the community of faith. And that's such good news for you and such good news for me. When we find ourselves choosing doubt over faith, choosing denial over what is undeniable, choosing to walk away from the community of faith that we have known to be so rich and so life-giving, who, when we think that Jesus is not with us, even though he's with us, when we think the story was over, the good news is that even when you walk away from Jesus, Jesus never walks away from you. Even when you walk away from Jesus, even if you walk away from Jesus, even though you've walked away from Jesus, Jesus has never walked away from you. And if you have ever found yourself, or if you find yourself right now in a place of life where you're like, I used to believe, I used to belong, I used to be so confident, I used to be so so sure that God was with me, I used to believe, but I'm not sure anymore. If you've walked or fallen away from Jesus, the good news is that Jesus has never walked or fallen away from you. If you have ever wondered if the door is still open and available to you, despite the fact that you let go of the keys, Jesus has never walked away from you and his extend invitation is still extended once again to you. If you've ever felt the guilt of, I knew better, but I didn't choose better. Is there still a place for me? There is still a place for you. If you've ever felt the sting of, I once had a community of faith that I belong to, but now I don't, there is still a place for you at Jesus' side. If you've ever wondered if God still loves you, even though you walked away because of the pressures of life, God loves you more than you can imagine. He loves you more than you could imagine. Even though you've walked away from Jesus, he has never walked away from you. And I would say this, and I, I, I think this is so amazing. When someone is willing to die for you, you never have to wonder how they feel about you. When someone is willing to die for you, 
to pay the price for your sin so that you could be brought back into a relationship with him. You never have to wonder how they feel about you. This is why I love so much what Paul wrote in Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When you were powerless, when you were faithless, when you were hopeless, when you were communityless, Christ died for the ungodly, those who were disconnected from God, which is me, which is you, that no matter where we find ourselves, whether we had some faith in God, whether we've never had faith in God, whether we had faith in God and we walked away from it, Christ died for you. Very rarely it says, will anyone die for a righteous person? Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, he proves, he proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still lost in our sin and dead in our sin, while we were still sinners because we had found our way back to sin after we had tried to follow Jesus, while we were found in sin because we had walked away from the community of faith, while we were found in sin because we weren't found in Jesus any longer, Christ died for us. And he says, if you want to know how God demonstrates and proves his love to you, he proves his love because Christ died for you when you weren't worth dying for. When no one else would, Christ died for you. Again, when someone is willing to die for you, you never have to wonder how they feel about you. When someone died so that you could be reconnected to your heavenly father, regardless of your sin or regardless of how you wandered, you never have to wonder whether there is a place for you at his side. He has made available the place at his side. And so here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus has never stopped pursuing you. You may have stopped pursuing Jesus, but Jesus has never stopped pursuing you. Through the pressure of life, through the pain of life, through the stress of life, through the doubts of life, through the weakness moments of life, he has never stopped pursuing you. In fact, I would dare say, through the moments that cause us to walk away from him, it gives an incredible opportunity for Jesus to show how he has been pursuing us because he pursues us in our need. You want to know how, like in the moments where life's needs become so great that, that we tend to like lose sight of Jesus, go like, man, I, like how can I you know, pay attention to something eternal when there's so many things to, in the temporary that I got to pay attention to? He pursues us in our need. You want to know how he pursues us in our need? He is our provider. Jesus is our provider. God is our provider. He never stops pursuing us. He pursues us in our need by being our provider. He pursues us in our pain. You want to know how he pursues in our pain? When life hurts, when life, when, when life hits and you don't know what you're going to do next, he heals us. He is, he is our healer. He is not just our provider. He is our healer. He pursues us in our stress. You're like the stress of life just crowds out Jesus. No, no. The stress of life is the perfect place for God to show up. The stress of life is the perfect place for Jesus to show up because Jesus is our peace. He is our provider. He is our healer. He is our peace. He pursues us in our doubts. You're like, the doubts, like that can't be the moment that Jesus would show up and that God would show up. Like, that can't be, like, because that's the moments where I'm questioning God. Well, the moments that you're questioning God, he pursues us in our doubts because he is the answer. He is the answer to every question in the same way that he is the remedy, that he is the doctor. He is the answer for every question. Jesus is the answer for every question. And also he pursues us in our weakness because he 
is our strength. That even when you stop pursuing Jesus, Jesus has never stopped pursuing you. Even when you don't think Jesus could possibly be there in the moment with you, Jesus is there in the moment with you because he loves you and he has never stopped pursuing you and he would do anything short of sin to win you back and to bring you back to him. What good news that is. What great news that is. And so here's the thing. If you notice here, there's one thing that gets through to Thomas. There's one thing that ultimately overcomes Thomas's doubts and overcomes Thomas's denial. It's the resurrection of Jesus leaves the door open for everyone, everywhere, for all of time. Like we said in the beginning, sometimes you don't necessarily, like if you've dropped the key, you just need to know that a door was left open for you. You just need to know that a door was left open for you. And when Jesus raised from the dead and showed himself to, to his followers and showed himself to 500 people who would go to their graves, like, like declaring, we saw him. We don't just believe it, we saw it. We don't just believe in a resurrection, we saw the resurrected one. They went to their graves claiming, we saw him. We don't believe it, we saw it. The resurrection is the game changer. And the resurrection of Jesus is how we know the door has been left open for us because with the resurrection of Jesus, the door was left open for everyone, everywhere, for all of time. It's like, look, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily gonna be great at following, but I, I, but I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know, like, I don't know how to follow, but I know Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know that, I, like, I, I, I know sometimes I wander, I know sometimes I falter, but I know that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the open door. That's the way you find your way back to God. That's the way you find your way back to your heavenly father. And you begin to follow once again, or you begin to follow for the first time, or you begin to follow despite your other worries, or you begin to follow despite your stress, or you begin to follow despite your weakness. You begin to follow despite your pre the pressures of life. You begin to follow despite anything because at the end of the day, there is a savior who loves you, who died for you, but he didn't stay dead. He rose to new life for you so that you could know the door is always open so that you can know the door is always open that you may not be particularly good at following but you can trust in the one who died and rose for you and if he could do that for you maybe he can also fill you with the power and the strength and the will to follow once again he left the door open for you would you follow him into his new life that he has for you let me pray for us heavenly father Thank you so much for this incredible story. God, as, as much as we give Thomas a bad name for doubting or for denying God, I think many of us, we would find ourselves to find him a character that, man, I, I can identify because I've been there. I've been there. God, thank you for his story and thank you for the reality and the truth of the story that Jesus showed up to someone doubting and denying him. Thank you that Jesus would go to that length for us. Thank you that there is no limit to what Jesus would do to win us back to you. Thank you that he went to the cross. Thank you that he was willing to relive it again to prove his resurrection. Thank you that we can know Jesus because of what he has done for us and the invitation he's extended to every one of us and the door that he has left open and made open for every one of us. Thank you that we can know you because of Jesus. So God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that we can know you. And God, for anyone today who would say, I need to make a decision to follow you and to trust Jesus and to walk through the open door, 
Help us to trust in Jesus' death as the forgiveness of our sins. Help us to trust in Jesus' resurrection as the open door to new life that we find in him. Help us to know you and love you and to find you and follow you despite our weaknesses and our faults and our failures and everything that we know to be true about us. Help us to follow you and take a first step to step through the open door to the new life that Jesus has for us. And as we follow him, as we walk through the door, help us to experience and find everything that you have for us as we follow Jesus. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.